Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Welcome back to another edition of the Internet's Most Dangerous Tottenham Hotspur Podcast. It's Wheeler Dealer Radio. I'm your host, Craig, and we have actually two victories to talk about this week. It feels like it's been a while since we've been able to do that. Joining me, as always, are my, are my two partners in crime. Coming to us from East Atlanta. I, I'm trying to come up with a joke about what part of Pandora that is, but I honestly don't know the movies well enough to use any sort of geography. It's Ben Daniels. Ben uh, how are you communing with nature over there? How am I communing with nature in East Atlanta? Um, well, I, is it with a ponytail? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I plug into like most things around town <laughs> with your just to get a feel for their vibes. <laughs> just stick it that stick it your hair into tailpipes, stuff like that. Yeah, you know, nature, man-made objects, just really anything. You know, everything has an essence when you when you plug in. You, you can learn a lot about your surroundings. <laughs> Coming to us from South Pandora, it is Brian Ashlock. Brian, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm great. Um, you know, the spirit of Awa has touched me uh, in such a, like, a deep manner. Um and, and and I'm ready to to speak its truth into the world via this fucking soccer podcast. Are, are you more of a jungle navi, a water navi, or are you a, a, a as of yet unrevealed geographic location navi? I, I mean, I think just based on where I reside, I would have to be the one of the water ones. Um, snow, a snow yeah. Navi, like a winter Navi. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm definitely not that guy. Um, <laughs> the, the problem is, is I don't like the beach, so I don't know how good of a water Navi I would actually be. Um, so, yeah. In case you, you can't plug tell, into one of those eel guys, and you just go off for the ride. You're good. Yeah, could be. I mean, you know, it looked fun. Like I, I would like to have like a pet seahorse whale thing. That'd be cool. <laughs> In case you can't tell, Brian has also seen Avatar Way of the Water since our last podcast, which I have mercifully not seen yet. Um, I would say based on just, like, money, most people that are listening to the podcast have seen it at this point. So you're in the minority at this point. Well, they're lying about it on Twitter then. Two billion dollars doesn't lie, Greg. (laughs) I mean, somebody's seen this movie, right? Like, I, it's not just Ben and I. I it could just yeah. be Ben. Like, just... yeah, I mean, I've seen it 475 <laughs> times, but other that's still not $2 billion. <laughs> it's like 1.5, though. Like, those are exp- they're expensive tickets, and I know you're seeing it in IMAX 3D every time. Well, you got to get the full immersion, Brian. Absolutely. Understandable. <laughs> that's why you've got to plug your your hair into the seat behind you <laughs> honestly really disappointed with the amount of hair sex in this one uh just 
not as much hair hookups as I thought there would be. It kind of teased us the whole way through, but there just was like it was more like nature communing than you know getting hot and heavy with the hair. What what member of Tottenham Hotspur do we think is most likely to be really into Avatar? Harry Kane. I mean, do you think Eric, Eric Dyer, Dyer has too much? Is our resident cinephile? Yeah. Do you think he has too much self-respect, though? Like, it's like, oh, it's a blockbuster. It's not like a French movie about a couple having an affair or something. I mean, I don't. <laughs> so, I don't know. But yeah, it is. It is the movie for normies. It is the most just basic human being kind of appeal, and I think that's firmly Harry Kane. You're probably right, Brian. Yeah. It's like, is this big and important? Then, yeah, Harry Kane saw it. Well, much like Avatar Way of the Water, Harry Kane had a very impressive performance at, uh, against Crystal Palace. Excellent transition. I, I know. Good. I thought it was Beautiful really good. Segue. This was, uh, um, I, I guess you could say this game fit the pattern of most Spurs games this year, except instead of looking all right, they looked very good, I thought, in the second half. I thought, um, you know... I thought we really opened it up against Palace. It looked very good. I, I was very impressed with this game. Certainly, I think it's Kane's best game of the year. I think it was um, certainly the team's best game. Certainly, most entertaining game of the year. I would say. Um, ben, did this? Did the Palace performance do anything to lift your spirits? Yeah, I mean, you know, that first half, it was like it felt like we were all kind of grasping at straws a little bit. We're like, hey, we haven't conceded two goals. This is pretty <laughs> good, you know. Um, but then it was kind of back to that that pattern that we've seen so many times this year. We play like a whatever first half, and then the second half we finally turn it on and are capable of really beating the brakes off of somebody when we put our minds to it. Um, and so, yeah, I'm perfectly happy with it good 4-0 performance. We were never really in any real danger from Palace. Um, all of our goals were pretty good. You know, I'd like to see us do that over 90 minutes, but it was still like a pretty good 90-minute performance that ended very, very well. I think what impressed me most, and Brian, I'm curious why you thought this was this this might be the case, but it wasn't just like, oh, Harry Kane sort of dug a few goals out, even though I think, you know, his performance is a big reason why we look so good. But it was just, I think, and again, maybe I'm judging this team on a curve because we've seen so few of these this year, but I thought it was just a very complete performance from the team. They were just playing well from, I don't know, about top to bottom, but certainly it didn't feel like, you know, just a one-man show or anything. Like, it was a very coherent sort of, at a minimum, attack. Yeah, I mean, I think everybody credited themselves pretty well. Um, you know, I think, we, I mean, the, I think the big story for a lot of us is Son finally looking like he's, if not back to his old self, like a guy who is a useful member of this team. Um, you know, he got a goal and he got a pseudo assist for Doherty. Uh, the improvement we've seen from Doherty over Royale has been dramatic. Brian Heal is now finally getting a chance in the team, and he looks like he has something to offer as a Kulishevsky understudy. Um, you know, Perisic did his normal really good crossing thing with a otherwise, you know, kind of mixed performance. Uh, yeah, I mean, 
you really can't fault anybody as like having a bad day at the office. Um, I think that's been as much the story as anything this year is not so much not everybody being good, but not being able to get away from a couple guys making disastrous mistakes that put us in a horrible hole that we have to dig ourselves out of. Uh, and nobody really did that this week. Brian, how much do you think is that's the fullbacks? I mean, we got, I think, very respectable performances out of the fullbacks in this game. And like, like Ben was saying about Doherty, who, again, we're probably grading a little bit on a curve because Royale's been so bad this year. But is that sort of the key there, that the, the fullbacks are performing competently and you know not hanging us out to dry or being just black holes of possession? Um, I think it doesn't hurt, obviously. Like, them not sucking is obviously great. Um, but I, I felt like it was more uh, kind of a tactical adjustment for us, at least in the second half, where, you know, we were we were coming out of the our, our kind of mid-block more, and we were getting our midfield further forward and our attacking three further forward, and we were actually competing for, you know, the knockdowns or the second balls or whatever. And um, just, like, that change alone really led to all four goals. And, and then, you know, Harry Kane, I think, um, in both of these most recent games, has been allowed to drop a little deeper and play facilitator a little more than he kind of had been for the last uh, few games for Spurs. And I, I think that was the change where we, we you know, Harry Kane's been having a really, really good season. He's been scoring goals at a rate that, you know, he wasn't last year. And and so we, we were, you know, we were getting away from him being our deep facilitator, from him playing those through balls to Sun, uh, whether it was because Conte was making that decision or because Sun just, like, wasn't making it happen. I don't know. But, like, we saw a lot more of that in this game and the other game. And I think that, more than anything, was the, the big difference. How much do you think the heel uh, has anything to do with that? Because I think it's a very, I don't want to say mixed performance. Because I, I, I don't necessarily think it's his performance. I think what, what heel offers you is very mixed, but I think we're actually getting something out of him now in a way that we weren't getting out of Lucas and some of the other options that we were throwing out there when Kulishevsky can't play. I think in these last two to three games, I mean, heels being used in what feels like a productive way as opposed to just being thrown out there. Do you think that contributes a little bit to what we've seen out of Kane? Sure. I I think having another threat there that's doing something with the ball is certainly good. Um, I am probably less like bought into the Hilasance than a lot of people like he's been okay but he's been okay against Crystal Palace and a League 1 team like uh, I I don't think you know the, the rumblings out of Spurs are now that like this is going to lead to him not getting loaned out and it's like uh, like th- this shouldn't prevent us from like buying someone for that position or or sending him somewhere to play regularly like it's good that he's got in the team and he did played well for these two games, but like, like big picture on heel. Like I'm still, I still don't, I'm not sold on well, it. I, I, let's, I want to talk about that a little bit. Cause 
all we've done, Spurs fans in general, but certainly on this podcast, one of the things we've done all season and repeatedly is just bitch and bitch and bitch about how we have no attacking depth on the bench. And part of that was that Conte wouldn't use heel, and I think most of us were convinced that if he did use heel, it wasn't going to do anything. I don't think Brian Heel is going to be a starter in the Premier League or Tottenham Hotspur, at least. Certainly a Champions League team in England. I don't know if he's got the physicality for it, but like, if you just replace the minutes that Lucas was giving us last year with Brian Heel doing the sort of things he's done in these last two games, like I, I don't know if that's worth what we're, we paid to get him or if you can't upgrade on that later. But, God, I mean, at least he looks useful. I mean, and I think having some useful attacker being able to come off the bench when hopefully Kuliszewski's healthy and Richarlison's healthy, you know, I think that has value. And, you know, maybe we should be hoping more for, from him for what we paid for him. But just given the fact that he's, like, barely played for us for, what, a year and a half or however long it's been, I, I, this is progress, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think... You know, the big problem this season as a whole is nobody on this fucking team can pass the ball, especially when we've had Romero out for a little bit and Kuliszewski out for so much of the season. Like, nobody on this team can pass the ball, except for Harry Kane, who, like Brian said, Conte has decided shouldn't do the deep facilitator stuff anymore because he should be in the box. And, you know, when we had uh, a front three of Kane's son and Richarlison, it was just there's just nothing cooking up there, you know? None of those guys could create on the ball unless Harry Kane came deep. And with Sun out of form, it was like kind of creating to nobody. You know, Brian has a, a limited game. I think, you know, he's talked a lot about working out and trying to put on muscle and how much he struggled to do that. And you see, he's just not really physical enough to like really beat a man. He can get bodied very easily off the ball. But when you get him in space, like, he has good instincts. He runs with the ball well. He carries it well. He knows where he wants to put the ball. He can dribble a man, you know, when he's got a little head of steam behind him. Um, And that's just can be transformative to an attack that's often very, very, you know, stodgy and out of ideas. Um, And so, yeah, I'm, I'm very glad to see Conte finally getting to a point where he feels like he can use him. Um, because it's, it's, it's better than nothing. Well, and and Ben, I think it's also another thing he does that you didn't mention is he tries passes and I don't think they always come off, but he's not atrocious at it. And the fact of the matter is you look at this team, the guys who have been starting, it's Kuliszewski, Kane, Longley and Romero when he's healthy. And I think I've just named everyone who regularly tries like, to break lines with their passes. Maybe, like, Bentoncourt does it, like, kind of once a month, but he's not, I mean, that's not really his game. So, like, just having Heal, who's going to, like, try shit, like you said, like, Richarlison, Son, and Kane, if Kane's not dropping deep, are all guys who are supposed to be on the end of stuff. And I think it helps to have someone who'll do that. And, I don't know, maybe I'm getting carried away, but I'm just, like, encouraged that we're getting something out of him. I think, Brian, the thing, I, can't hear you. Uh, <laughs> I think the thing I've been uh, much more interested in is uh, Sar actually getting to play in these last couple games. And maybe that makes me a hypocrite because I'm down on Brian. But, like, uh, I, I think Sar is actually, like, a much more interesting prospect. Yes, I agree um, with that. And, and it's, you know, 
for a lot of the season, a lot of Spurs fans have treated him like this is a 17-year-old nobody who's never played football in a top division. And forgetting conveniently that he played two seasons in Liga, um, you know, one for a mediocre Mets team and then one for a bad Mets team. Um, but he was playing against, you know, PSG, Marseille, Lyon, week in and week out. And, you know, we can talk about the quality of the rest of the French top tier, but, like, he wasn't playing schmucks all the time. And, um, and he's come in this year, and he's been good um, in these last couple games. And um, I think, like you guys were talking about, his passing, his movement on the ball – and his movement off the ball have been really helpful. I think he was definitely our best player against Portsmouth. And I thought in the the time that he was on the field against Crystal Palace, that was when we looked kind of the most fluid, the most effective going forward. I'm not saying he should be playing ahead of some of our other guys, but I'm very interested in seeing what him getting to play more looks like. I, I kind of accepted that once we signed Conte... Sar was just a guy we would sort of sell on after a few loans. Uh, But, you know, I don't know if he's ready for regular first-team football with Spurs, but, I mean, I'm very impressed with what we've seen from him. And I think we've given Conte a lot of stick for what we were just talking about, leaving guys on the bench, not really mixing up the rotation. But if he came out of working with Sar over the World Cup and is impressed enough to actually give him minutes, which sounds like it's the case... I mean, beyond the sort of circumstances that might be forcing it with injuries, but it seems like Conte has responded to that. I think Conte does deserve some credit for it. Brian, um, before we get Ben's thoughts on Sar, do you think, looking at what he's given us, keeping in mind that we're probably going to get um, Bentecourt back in a week or two and, you know, there's a chance, I guess, we might sign a passing midfielder, would you rather see Sar be getting sort of fringe minutes for Spurs or try and getting slowly worked into the team here, or do you think – he would be better suited to uh, – they're, they're, we're talking about sending him to – I can't remember the name of it, a Serie A team. Uh, would you rather Solana see him get that Pana, loan? I think, yeah. Yeah. I, I, think, I think that specific loan is, is to me, not ideal. Um, you know, I don't – you know, I think Solana – I think some of the – just from talking to some people is that they, they actually try to play football, but they're not a very good team. Um, and while, like, trying to play football is fine – I would rather he, you know, be on a team somewhere here in England. Um, And he's at the point in his career where I think he's going to be served best by uh, playing regularly for Spurs specifically. Uh, You know, I don't anticipate that he's going to jump up in the pecking order too much. I don't, you know, while I think these performances, the last couple games have been like better than Basuma has played recently. I don't think that, you know, we're comparing him right now to Basuma right now, and he's not, while he's been better recently, I think Basuma's overall skill level at this time is above where Sar is. So, like, is he our fourth midfielder? I'm comfortable with that. I'm comfortable with him, uh, you know, being our our option to come on as the passer in midfield late in games. Um, whether that's to kill games off and, and hold on to possession or if we're chasing games, um, I, I, you know, I'd like him to stick around. Um, I think that would be a better use of his development this season. And plus it helps for like homegrown purposes and stuff like that. Ben, what do you think of Sar? 
Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm not super worried about the development aspect so much as I think he's clearly ready to be a real contributor to this team. And God knows we could use a guy who can do some of the things on the ball that he gives us. Like, he's a guy who's just always looking to move the ball forward through midfield. And that's not always the case with all of the other guys who we have, like Brian said, are maybe technically at a better, higher level than he is. They just don't have those same instincts and those same inclinations. You know, I think you can get some good forward balls out of Hoiberg and Bentoncourt. You know, when push comes to shove, we've seen them get forward and be more involved in the attack, but that's not the sort of their like default mode of operation. Um, where you see Sar kind of just has those instincts. He's looking for, you know, how do I put the ball into space in front of a fullback to run onto? How do I get the ball to our front line, you know, quickly so that they can then, you know, turn that into an opportunity? You see him, um, and he gives us a spark, you know, in possession that we've just been lacking so much this year. And I, you know, I don't know if Conte trusts him in a midfield two in that three four three that he's so married to um but there's certainly room for him to be a meaningful contributor down the stretch um you know as as like brian said like a way to change things up when we're chasing a game and bring on a third midfielder um or whatever like he gives us something that nobody else in this team offers right now and he looks like he's not just different but like actually good at those different things and the thing I think I'll say about Sar is, you know, it, it was refreshing to see a guy kind of come in from out of the cold and like, you know, basically zero minutes for Spurs, you know, minimal minutes at the World Cup for Senegal and then kind of get thrown into the action. And he just looked good. Um, you know, we talked about, you know, Brian at various points during the season and he had one cameo in the Champions League where he just looked like he'd forgotten how to play football. And then, you know, he came back the the following match week and he and he looked much better, but and, and he's looked good these last couple of games, but like you know, he and Saar both in these last few weeks are just they got their opportunities and they're making Conte at least think about it. So often we have these guys that are fringe players, guys like Lucas or, you know, in the past, like Regulon or, uh, you Spence. know, for, for, for years and Dombele and Lo <laughs> And we're like, they just need a run of games in the team or they just need a start. And we'd throw them out there and they'd look like absolute trash. And you're like, well, shit, you know, like, you know, how are you going to force your way into this team if you're not seizing these opportunities? And, and you know, credit to Heal and credit to Saar. They were ready this time, and and they both came out and and played well. I think I'm, I'm really impressed with Sar because he really is like I know like what you're saying, Brian. He has two two runs in the senior, um, in a senior league like France, uh, two seasons rather in a senior league like France, and he is a member of his national team regularly. And, but like this is a really young guy who really has not had a lot of experience in England, um, if any, before this year, and it's. I think it's really refreshing how much it seems like he got it. And we don't know what the issue with Spence is, um, if that's just like him sending a message to Levy or what. But it's it's really refreshing to see a guy, like you said, come in from out of the cold and just sort of like, I, I don't want to overstate it. This isn't like Gareth Bale against Inter or anything. But, you know, just really sort of look like he could 
be a member of this team. And I, you know, if, if Sar makes an impact on Spurs, it's probably not going to really happen this season, but you know, it, it's, it's encouraging. I think we were all very excited about Sar when we, when we bought him and we thought this team was going to be in a bit of a rebuilding phase, but you know, I mean, Credit to Conte if he really did play him, work with him over the international break, and even if circumstances forced his hand, I mean, you know, it's refreshing to see. It's it's exciting to see. I mean, he's twenty. That's I think that's the, one of the things we also lose track of him because it seems like he's been a Spurs player for years, and but like his breakthrough season, he was seventeen and eighteen years old at Mets, and then we bought him right after that. Like he he played. You know, twenty some odd matches in Liga as a seventeen, eighteen year old. Like that's nuts. And whether regardless of how good Mets were that season. And then he did, you know, thirty matches again the next year at eighteen, nineteen years old. And he's nineteen twenty now and he's, you know, clearly capable of playing in the Premier League. Uh, and it's not just it's not just that he played, like he played to a level that was like, This is what a young star player looks like doing this at 17 is the kind of thing that generally turns out really, really well down the line um, as that player matures and scouts stats, people like everybody was like very excited about the future of SAR. It was a real coup for us to get him at that point because, you know, we kind of had taken our foot off of the gas when it came to signing players like that, who, you know, were young and profiled well and could be, big contributors in the future. Um, and it's been frustrating to see, you know, that kind of go to waste over the last year or so. Um, and now that we have him like showing that he can be a contributor in this team, I feel like, well, you know, let him cook, man. I think, I think there's a lot more to come from him and we just got to give him as many chances as we can um, to fit into this team. Cause I think he's going to be a real asset for us. I think with him and Heal, what the club needs to evaluate is by the end of the year, can we say that both of these guys will have 20 total appearances for this team? And whether that's subs, starts, whatever, are these guys going to get to, you know, a thousand minutes or, or, or 20 appearances? Because if they're not, then we got to find somewhere else for them to play. Like, I, I, I feel like game time is so important to development. And, you know, we saw that, I, I think, you know, with so many of the guys that have come through Spurs Academy over the years, you know, getting game time and fits and starts for, you know, a Harry Winks or a, a Ryan Mason or whatever, like, wasn't enough to move the needle on them but when they really kind of push forward in their development and you know stalled because they're very limited players but you know when they push forward in their limited development it was because they were getting significant minutes you know it's ryan mason under pochettino it's harry winks later under pochettino you know kane under under sherwood like these are the things that push these players developments forward and if we're just going to do this with these guys where they're spot starters because we don't really have anything else and like, ugh, you know, they're going to get, you know, five, ten minutes here, five, ten minutes there. Maybe we're doing them a disservice by keeping them around. But I got I, I would I would like it if we would be able to commit to getting those guys, you know, a decent number of matches and a decent amount of minutes. Brian, I'll start with you. Gut, you think 
Sar and Sar. Let's say Sar because I think Heel is more likely. But you think Sar is going to be a contributor in some form or fashion to the Spurs for the rest of the season? Or do you think uh, he's going on loan? I don't know. I I think if I had to bet, I would say that he's he will not be here at the end of January just because, you know, we have some amount of midfield depth with the four other guys that we have. And I just think that maybe Conte is not quite there on him. Like, I don't know that, I don't know that these two performances were enough. Um, so if I, if I had to guess, I'd say that the rest of the season, we don't see as much just sorry as I would like. So he's gone maybe. Or on loan anyway. Ben? Um, yeah, I was just looking to see if we had any any quotes in the last, you know, twelve hours that I hadn't seen about about Sar. Um It's not as promising, I guess, as I'd hope. It does sound like he is like willing to let him leave. Um and I would have hoped that he would have seen more out of these performances that seemingly every Spurs fan did. Um, Because I think if you, you know, did a quick Twitter poll, most people would say, yes, he should stay, and yes, he should play more. Um, So if Conte disagrees, that's just makes me more mad about Conte than anything, honestly. Well, at least we're we're definitely in mid-season form then. Um... I don't want to spend too much time on the Portsmouth match because I think it was what it was. Um, uh, we were talking, business. yeah, we we were talking about this before the podcast actually, before we started recording. I, I swear to God, I'm probably wrong, but this is how it feels to me. I think even when we were at our very best under Mauricio Pochettino, I don't remember when we would play a team like Portsmouth, like an equivalent like Stevenage or something. I never remember these games being easy. Sometimes I remember them not being particularly threatening, but like. You know, you watch, like, you know, Chelsea put seven past, you know, like, some bottom of the championship team. And unless we're playing, like, Marine, I just feel like we never put up gaudy numbers in these games. Does that jive with you guys? Because it's... (laughs) I mean, it's a bummer to, like, watch, like, Brighton Middlesbrough and see Brighton hang five goals on them while we, like, labor to beat a team in a division below. Uh, it's frustrating. You know, you want to see us beat the crap out of somebody that's bad to sort of reassure us that, like, there's something there to this team. We're just not quite putting it together against the upper echelon of world football. Um, and seeing us, you know, struggle to a 1-0 victory over Portsmouth is just makes it easy to doubt when things aren't going well. Luckily, we, you know, pasted Crystal Palace a few days earlier so it was easy to sort of not worry too much uh, about this. No, I would agree. I would agree with that. Um, it would be nice. Though. It's it's funny because like I I think like broadly I agree with you in terms of just like that's my perception of how our cup games usually go. But like I was just looking here through like our FA Cup, you know, third round record going back, you know, the last few years and. And really, like, we usually come away pretty well in the third round. Like, it's a 3 0 win, 4 0, 3 0. God, it doesn't. It, I would not have, like, guessed that. <laughs> it yeah, never feels I easy. Either. You know, like, because 
you know, 2020 Middles, Middlesbrough, we drew the first one. We had to do a replay 2-1. Like, that's my recollection of how these uh, the these FA Cup games go. Maybe I'm just getting them confused with, like, weird knockouts in the League Cup or something. I don't know. But, like, yeah, I, I absolutely agree. Like, I, I just always feel like we make these Cup games against lower league opposition so much harder for ourselves than they have to be. Yeah, if we just pace them like we did Marine, that would be, you know, great. <laughs> but yeah, no, that was good. So I want to talk about um, one transfer rumor that is becoming more and more of a reality, which is we are being heavily linked with the man that Ben and Brian and I and Wendy went to scout in Portugal. Pedro Porro is looking like someone that Spurs are actually interested in. Legitimate outlets are reporting it that, you know, Spurs are interested in Sporting is saying that we need to pay out his entire transfer fee or transfer uh, his release clause, rather. Um, how do you guys feel about this now that it's like becoming a bit of a reality and not just like a fun thing for us to dream on? Because some of our friends who might have used to have been on this podcast are uh, a little less high on this transfer than I think uh, I am. But like also Nathan Clark over on the extra inches is, is, is kind of a poro skeptic, but. Uh, how are you guys feeling about this transfer and how it is like sort of edging towards plausibility? Well, you know, I've said it before and um, we just really need someone that looks like they're kind of a douche. Um, and, you know, his tattoos, his teeth, like, I think he's exactly what this team needs. Um, he's got real, real douche teeth. Is that yeah, what you say, Brian? Yeah, yeah. That's yep, your static assessment. <laughs> yeah, that's a hundred percent what those teeth. I are. can't believe Liverpool's not going after him with 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 fake teeth like that. Like, yeah, absolutely, be an excellent Firmino replacement. Um, but I don't know. I I just think like, look, our our right back situation has been so bad all year, and you know Doherty is okay, and Emerson is okay, and Spence is a complete non-entity. And I think at the very least, Pedro Porro is better than okay. Um, you know, I've seen him play, I don't know, three or four matches at this point. And he's at least interesting. He tries to beat a man. He gets into the box. He does cool stuff. I, I don't know. I, I think in, in Conte's system and in the way we want to play... I'm much happier to have somebody doing those sorts of things and worrying less about, oh, I don't know, can he defend? Um, like, it, it, there's not as much defensive onus on him. He doesn't have to worry about, you know, getting back and getting into position and locking down wingers. That's not necessarily what the wingbacks in this Conte system do. They're there to be outlets in possession. They're there to get the ball into the box. And I, I think that's what he does. And, you know... I, I, I know that Kaylee and, and Nathan are skeptical because of, you know, league effects and, you know, how is his passing actually? Um, I don't really care. I've seen him in person. I thought he was fun. Let's fucking sign him. I'd be a really bad scout, wouldn't I? Honestly, that's where <laughs> I am. And part of it's just that, like the season hasn't been the most fun thing in the world. Pedro Porro has been fun when I've watched him. I think it's kind of cool that I saw this guy play in Portugal and in the Champions League. Like, fuck it. Let's just like at this point, I'm kind of like, it's not my fucking money. Yeah, it's yeah, I mean, it's sometimes my money. Daniel Levy, you fucking owe me. I'm gonna call that loan in. 
Um, I think Pedro Porro is an overpay at the prices we're talking about, but I mean, so was Richarlison. And like, at the end of the day, I'm kind of glad we have him. Like, yes, I think we could have spent that money better. There's probably a more economical, you know, fourth forward we could have purchased, but you know, we got a guy who has a useful skill set. And again, it's not my money, so whatever. I think the thing with Poro that seems to be making a lot of people nervous is that his game is he's very much a final third fullback. You know, that's where he shines. He has good box penetration. He scores pretty well for a fullback. Uh, He passes into the box well, you know. But you look at this team and you see a such a glaring lack of ball progression and guys who can beat a man and guys who can carry the ball upfield. Um, and I think it's easy to wish for, you know, a, a more dribbly progressive fullback who is going to take you from box to box in possession. Um, but the fact is, is Conte doesn't really do that. Like, you know, he wants a guy like Matt Doherty. He wants a guy who's going to be there to get on the end of crosses from from Perisic. He wants a guy who's going to, you know, combine in the final third uh, with our forwards. Um, and so I think if Conte is still our manager, this is a guy who suits his style of play very well. He doesn't solve some of our problems that are, like, holistically plaguing this team, but in terms of what that role should do, I think you're hard pressed to find a, an available fullback that does it better than he does. Um, I think the next question then is, well, why are we buying a fullback that's so tailored specifically to Antonio Conte's wingback system when Antonio Conte will not commit to this team and may not be here in six months? Uh, and that's a valid question. <laughs> um, well, we're just going to hire sporting managers, so it'll be fine. Right. Hey, we got linked with uh, Gasparini as a Conte successor. So, you know, also fine. back three <laughs> fun wingbacks, maybe alive and well. Um, you know, I think to that, I'd say I get the sense from him that he's like a more well-rounded player than he demonstrates um, just sort of given the nature of the team he plays for and the context he plays for. I think he's not asked to do a lot of those things. Um, and if we were to find ourselves playing, you know, a back four and he has to be a more traditional fullback, I think I see enough that I am willing to gamble that he can grow into that role, like much more than I'm willing to gamble on an Emerson Royale turning into a wingback anytime fucking soon. So, yeah, yeah. buy him. I think, I think two things. I think, first of all, you know, I think it's always much more preferable to buy a fullback that is more competent going forward. I think you can, you know, coach into them better, you know, defensive positioning and tactical flexibility and awareness and that sort of stuff. Like we saw that with Pochettino and Kyle Walker and Danny Rose, like, you know, those, uh, you know, Danny Rose was a winger and then he turned into like one of the best fullbacks in the Premier League for years. So like I'm I'm confident I I like Pedro Poro's skill set much better um than anybody we have on the team right now. And then the other thing is that Ben touched on is like the price. Like 
I I am also not super excited about forty five million for Pedro Porro. Well, that, that, uh, that is euros to be fair. So sure, I think you're talking about mid thirty five, like thirty five ish pounds. I think is what it would go for right now. Yeah, and I mean, on the one hand, a that's what players just cost now, and so like we have to accept that. But like, I think the other thing that kind of like rubs people the wrong way about this transfer is like. This was also a player we knew about, you know, last year that we could have signed this summer and instead we signed Jed Spence. And it just kind of seems like there's not a coherent plan that we're back to the, oh, let's sign the guy that did well against us in the Champions League or, you know, in the past it was in the Europa League or the FA Cup. Like, like let's just sign that guy as opposed to us having some clear plan for the squad and for progression and it just seems like we're throwing money at the problem, which well, I think that I'm goes, fine with. I would like us to throw money at our problems. That's great. I, I think that goes back to something that I think we all thought was happening a little more in the summer than it clearly was, which is like Conte better be on board with this. If we're going to do it. I actually I like him a lot. I think it would be fun. I, obviously, it plays to my personal biases, and I, I but I, I do like him as a player. But like whoever we sign, like Conte better be like yes, I want him. I will use him. And, you know, if he shows up and he's a moron in the training pitch, that's another problem for another day. But, like, these better be guys Conte is on board with, like, using. Because apparently that didn't happen this summer, which is vaguely insane to me, considering how Conte was starting to walk out every week last year. But, you know, and getting back, Ben, you said something about, you know, if, if Conte leaves... You know, how can we use him? But you, when we, I think we were talking about this last week, um, and you made the point to me, which is, like, there's worse things in the world to just be stuck with a good attacking fullback. Like, you could figure, you like you said, like Brian was saying, you could figure out what to do with that. You can have midfielders cover him in defense. You can shade over defenders. You know, there's things you can do with that if, if he's a good attacker, which I think he is. I think, unlike Doherty, he's not just popping up in the box to score. He's a better passer. He's a better crosser. I think his, run, I think his runs are a lot better and, and faster. I think he's a much more dangerous player in the attacking third than Doherty is. Yeah, I think he's a good problem to have in the squad. Um, you know, even if he's not a perfect, perfect fit for any manager in every system. So yeah, let's do it. I mean, the thing is, is like we're not linked with anybody else. So, <laughs> and I mean, honestly, look, if he comes in and like plays really well for two years, and Conte leaves, that we can sell him somewhere for a lot of money. So hopefully. Um, Brian, you were getting on to something I think is worth transfer transitioning to for our next topic, which is, uh, ownership. Uh, something that has been discussed a lot in a lot more mainstream outlets. And I think we're used to as Spurs fans is Enoch out. Um, it has been the athletic, the guardian or the telegraph, whatever Dan Kilpatrick writes. Um, they have done articles about Spurs fans being discontent and using the, the, that phrase, the extra inch just did a bonus podcast on their Patreon about it where they talked to Billy T about the Enoch out thing. I am curious where you guys are on this. Cause I think anyone who's listened to this podcast knows that we're generally, we're, we're generally skeptical of at least the organized criticisms of the Spurs owners group over the years. Um, but that is not necessarily down to the fact that they are criticizing the Spurs owners group. Um, Ben, you are sort of the, uh, 
happiest ray of sunshine on this podcast. So I'll start with you. Just where where are you with the edict out sentiment, um, both in terms of what they're saying and how they're expressing it these days? Because it has been a not that great first half of the season for Tottenham Hotspur. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'd say a few things. You know, first is the sort of fan banging the drums about the ownership leaving is just sort of a, a futile gesture in every context. Nobody cares. Ownership doesn't care. They don't care. Um, you know, you're not going to yell an owner out of a club. It's just not going to happen. Um, you know, if fans were actually interested in like boycotting the team, maybe we would have something, but no one's really interested in like putting their money where their mouth is. They just want to yell about it. And so as like a movement, I think it's a nothing. Um, it's just a way of people expressing a very real frustration and a very well-earned frustration. Um, my own sentiment, I think, is I don't have a problem with Enoch as an ownership group. You know, there's there's very few billionaires out there and even fewer remotely ethically excusable billionaires out there. And we're like, right at the edge of like being a billionaire, you can kind of be comfortable um, saying as the owner of your club without being too, too mad about it. Um, you know, my problems are much more an issue with Daniel Levy as a chairman um, in terms of the way he has run this club in the last few years after doing admittedly an extremely good job to take us to the level that we've now kind of stagnated at. Um you know, you see the way FSG at Liverpool have run their organization without being, you know, a Petro State or, you know, Roman Abramovich throwing bundles of cash every every summer um, to sign, you know, whoever he fancies. Um, they ran their club smartly with good scouting, good analytics, you know, um, good coaching hires and without an absurd amount of investment transformed a team that was kind of stuck in the wilderness into a team that won a title in a champions league in a few years, you know, that's doable with good club management in the front office. And if Enoch was interested in doing that, I think I don't care if they're the billionaires who happen to be the, the owner of the club. Um, you know, I think if they are willing to say to Daniel Levy, you know, you've served us well, take your ownership share, go live on a beach somewhere, and someone else is going to, like, run the operations of this thing. I think we could transform ourselves into a very competitive football operation um, with some good front office moves. Um, that said, Daniel Levy being, a, like, one-third owner of this team and having such a relationship with Joe Lewis, I don't see that happening. Um so in terms of what's our other option if Enix decides to actually get out and sell, well, I think we learned in the last few days that the first name on the list is the Qatar Sports Investment Organization who allegedly wants to buy a minority share um, in the club, presumably with a view to taking it over at some point. Um, and, you know, I would basically stop being a Spurs fan if that happened. You know, I'm just not interested in this entity that I care deeply about um, 
this team that I care deeply about being a sort of sports watching arm for, you know, a Petro state full of human rights abuses. Um, that's just not a better situation. I'd rather just be having these same arguments every week about, you know, the going nowhere uh, of this team than, you know, do a Newcastle and make great strides and sort of have to like overlook the fact that like we're being bankrolled by great evil. Um, you know, so I think that's sort of the playing field here is there are other owners in between Joe Lewis and, you know, an evil human rights abusing Petro state. Um, I think the odds of finding that, that owner with the billions of dollars necessary to buy and invest in the squad, um, are are very small so you know better the devil you know i think in that sense yeah i and without touching on the the qsi thing um because i i feel largely the same as ben about that uh i think the frustration for a lot of people and and for me specifically is that kind of the last decade at spurs has been building to you know, this point where we, we have the new stadium, where we have consistent Champions League football, we have an elite striker, we have an elite manager, we have all these great players. And, you know, we've talked about it before. It just doesn't seem like Daniel Levy, the chairman, has an idea of what the direction from here is. Um, and I think the problem is, is Daniel Levy himself. And like Ben said, you have ownership groups like FSG, like the Red Bull people, like, you know, that that understand the importance and the value of talent identification, talent acquisition, and using whatever your financial resources are. And it doesn't seem like Daniel Levy has that. And, you know, he's flirted with, you know, directors of football and uh, sporting directors and, and giving other people power. I mean, you know, we, we, we started, you know, years ago with Damian Camoli, then we did Franco Baldini, and then now we've got uh, Paratici. And it's just, it seems like half measures. Baldini especially seemed like a half measure because it was just like we had him in his Rolodex and then, and Push, you know, decided that he only wanted to sign the guys he wanted to sign, and so Baldini was gone. And then now we have Paratici, who was brought in, you know, because of his relationship with Conte, who, you know, were like, this is going to be the face of the sporting side of the club, and now he's embroiled in his own off-the-field issues, and also, like, what is he doing from the sporting side of this like like there hasn't been this like massive transformation this big leap forward in terms of scouting talent identification whatever because you know when we get linked with players um and i'm sure you guys feel this way too is it's just like hey remember that guy from italy and that's who we get linked with and like you know even even you know our next manager it's like gasparini and it's like Yes, that is an exciting, that would be an exciting hire. I would be very interested in that. But it's also just like, ah, who's good in Italy? And so, you know, it's, it's, it's frustrating because 
even as someone on the outside looking in who has, you know, zero experience in professional football, you can look at this and go, gosh, what if we got, you know, more invested in analytics? What if we got more invested in our, our scouting and talent identification people? What if we just really committed to a plan? And and that's my frustration with ownership and the, and the chairman is, is we just won't commit to that. It's all like this sort of like, eh, we'll kind of do that, but then also I get to sign Jed Spence. Like that's that's what running Spurs is like right now. And it's 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 frustrating because you can see it happening at other clubs, other clubs that don't have the financial resources, other clubs that don't have the current talent that Spurs do. And and there's no reason why we can't be that. Like, look at the way that Brighton identifies talent. Look at the way that, you know, uh, the Red Bull clubs identify talent. Why can't we do that? Right. And it's insane because it's like dropping a billion dollars on transfer fees is very expensive. Hiring a bunch of scouts and analytics nerds is very cheap. And for a club who doesn't have, you know, the sort of financial clout as the competitors we aspire to compete against and doesn't have the willingness to sort of throw in just a cash injection of free money. Like Daniel Levy generally seems to understand the idea of leveraging those, those areas. And yet in a, in a player acquisition um, context, he totally, totally lost, um, you know, like he understands how to leverage our market position to, to turn us into a, a better financially, you know, generating entity, um, like he gets that. He understands that we need to do those things on the margins to make ourselves a more competitive club. And this thing that would be so cheap to do has just eluded him for decades now. And like, why? I think something that gets lost in all this is, you know, like, because I think if you're talking about, you know, if you're talking about Levy, I think something that really gets lost in it is the fact that, like, the progress this team made until, I would say, Pochettino sort of blew up in everyone's face, or that situation blew up in everyone's faces. You know, it's it's incredible what they did. They took, you know, a club that had been worse than West Ham, that hadn't finished above Arsenal in, like, however the hell long it had been. And, you know, made us not just out, got us out of mid table, but like, you know, we're, we're getting in the champions league more often than not over the last decade, which felt like, I don't know about you guys, but that to me, that felt like a crazy thing that this team was doing when they were in it in 2010. And I think something that has fueled some of this, um, feeling or discontent amongst the Spurs fan base, aside from the fact that, yes, there have been a lot of rocky, periods especially over the last couple of years but i think one thing that's fueled this is we never had a party like don't get me wrong there have been great moments like i have had a lot of fun as a spurs fan and you know i think the pochettino era is something really special and there's the fact that we didn't have a parade doesn't take away from any of that you know i i think there are some teams that win a lot more than spurs that never have a moment like we had in amsterdam but the fact of the matter is we've done we've made all this progress and there was one trophy and frankly it was the league cup so like eh but, like, I think this would all feel so different if we'd, not even, like, if we'd won the league, the Champions League, hell, if we'd had, like, just a exciting FA Cup win under Pochettino, I think this would all feel a little bit different because Spurs fans have just never had that release. Like, we've made all this progress. We've, we've, we have gone from a team that was lucky to have Jermaine Defoe 
and Robbie Keane to, you know, we have one of the best strikers in the world, and we have the captain of the World Cup winning team on, on our team. And, you know, there's been so much progress, and there's never been a party. Like, you know, we've never had that, like, we're on top of the world moment. Um, re- not really under Levy. I mean, we've had the League Cup, but, like, and, we, and I think what makes it even worse is we got, so, we got so close to two league titles under Levy. We got so close to a Champions League, which the Champions League in particular felt like something that we'd never see. And I think that there hasn't been that release leads Spurs fans to sort of devalue some of the achievements that we have seen under this ownership. I think, you know, I don't want to rehash Ben's points because I agree with a lot of them and same with you, Brian, Um, you know, especially about the nature of our ownership. And I think, you know, I don't want to get too far into the game of like, be careful what you wish for, but I think it is well put that it's not necessarily about, well, who's going to buy us. I'm not sure you'd be happy with that, but you look at who is buying football clubs right now. I mean, I think the fact that let's say Daniel Levy sold the club tomorrow and we got something, a Todd Bowley like substance, say what you want about that. That's probably one of the better scenarios that we could end up with in terms of like who could own Spurs, you know, as opposed to like a hedge fund or, you know, and a Petro state or an oligarch, like, you know, there's not a lot of good options, and yeah, go ahead, Ben. Sorry. Oh, I just, you know, you mentioned Todd Bowley. And I think that's a great example of a guy who, yeah, he's, you know, in the scheme of owners, not the worst thing. And a guy who's throwing tons of money around at this football club, but it's still not a well-run organization. It's not working. No. At least right now at Chelsea, you know, they are languishing in mid table. You know, they have a manager we dreamed about. Um, they have players we, we still decide. We okay, hold on. We, we. <laughs> many of us. <laughs> okay, about, they have you know, forty-seven players. defenders <laughs> and <laughs> nobody that can score a goal. You know, it's like it's. It just takes me back to my original point. Like it's not necessarily a question of ownership so much as who and how are you running this fucking club. That that's like that's where you make your differences. You know, we we're in a league with Saudi Arabia and uh the Emirates and Todd Bowley. You know, we're we're with a bunch of clubs who have a lot of money. Uh having a lot of money is only going to take you so far if it's not spending it in a productive and well run, you know, organized fashion. Uh it's just, it's just not enough. Getting I, back, I know we've talked about it before, but it's just like, it's so weird that when it comes to the football side of this, that Daniel Levy, the businessman, just doesn't understand the benefit of you know these like marginal gains or these these small investments that can turn into big things because like, like he had the vision to take us from you know White Hart Lane to our new stadium and to turn us from, you know, like Greg said, worse than West Ham into perennial champions league team. And, but how do you not see that? Like, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars for some new scouts and, you know, some, some video analysts isn't going to generate you, you know, the like millions and millions of more dollars, like, or pounds or whatever. Like, it makes no sense. Like it's it, it at this point it seems like Daniel Levy really likes playing, you know, football manager or FIFA career mode. And like 
he gets that joy out of like signing players and, and like, you know, what, and he doesn't want to relinquish control. And that's, I think that's the, the position that I am finally in is I am, I'm still very much Enoch in, they could stay like better the devil, you know, than the devil you don't. But like Daniel Levy needs to reassess what his role is with this team. Well, so that's something, and I might be misunderstanding things here. So this is just talking about my perception and obviously being an American who does not live in London or regularly attend Spurs games, um, or frankly, just live around the large community of Spurs fans. I have you guys, I have my friends, but you know, I'm not in London. Like a lot of our listeners are like a lot of Spurs fans are. There's a lot of, for me, it's hard to separate when I hear Enoch out, you know, there's a lot of like rhetoric about like. And I might be just tying this into, say, supporters' trust and the stuff they do, where it's like there's a lot of rhetoric about connecting with the fans and all that. But at the end of the day, Enoch out always seems to pop up when we're not playing all that well. And it really seems to be about spend some fucking money. Yep. And, you know, like, I, I, again, I don't want to speak to how well connected the club is to the community. It seems like they built a new stadium in a way that considering how the Olympic stadium stuff is going down with Spurs fans, there was not, I have not seen a tremendous outcry among Spurs fans about the new stadium beyond some general, just we wish we didn't have to move out of the old place. Like it does seem like from a fan interaction perspective, they handled the new stadium about as well as you could, both in terms of constructing it and in terms of selling the fans on it. But you know, when I hear Enoch out and I hear all these things about, like, oh, forging a tight, tighter connection with the fans, like, I just don't, that doesn't seem to, like, sync with when this stuff pops up. I mean, Ben, you made a very good Twitter joke about when the supporters trust decide to, like, you know, nail their 95 theses to Daniel Levy's door, like, immediately after our best performance of the season. And it's all about, like, transfer policy, which is, like, a perfectly valid thing for fans to bitch about. And to an extent, I understand why some of the Enoch out stuff is about, I mean, I mean, to a large extent, I understand why a lot of the Enoch out stuff, Enoch out stuff is about our performance, but you know, when you see groups like the supporters trust or whoever, like who should be advocating for fans as a class talking about transfer policy or, you know, like when you, when these things get conflated is where it also gets sticky with me because it's like, well, what do you care about? Why is this important? Because it sounds like we're lying about one thing to really talk about the other. And again, I say this all knowing, like, I mean, and if any of our listeners have any examples of how they are really not good at interact uh, at, at connecting with the fans, like, God bless, you can tell me about it. But it seems like the problem is on the pitch. Like, like Enix seems like about as... I don't know. Like you were saying about billionaires earlier, Ben, like, ab- like about towards the lower end of onerous as you're going to get just in terms of like how tolerable they are. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> just to touch on the supporters trust stuff or, or the fan complaints in general, like I don't like those guys anyway. Um, but like, the, the the complaints about transfer policy like that to me is like that's twitter bitching like that's the stuff that we should be complaining about on the internet on our podcasts you know in our slack channels like the the reason that 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 groups like that is exist is not to like hey spend some money it's like let's talk about the expense associated with away game tickets let's talk about 
the way that the individual um, groups are are situated and 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 uh, seated at Spurs matches. Let's talk about community outreach. Let's talk about social program. Let's talk about you know that to me is what the supporters trust and and those sorts of official channels are for. Like to to like you know. Those are those are the type of things that 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 are going to be impactful that that sort of organization can do the sort of for fuck's sake, Levy, you know, why didn't we buy X or why don't we spend some money? That's not a good use of your platform. You're not getting anywhere with that. Like, you know, that's for people like us to come on (laughs) the fucking Internet and speak to a few thousand people and go, hey, spend some money. This is fucking ridiculous. But you have you get to have meetings with the chairperson, with the members of the board, and so like, like like Ben made his joke on Twitter, but you nailed your theses to the door, like you're fucking Martin Luther, and what did you get out of it? You got to complain, you got to bitch, like you get to do on the internet, and and you're gonna make zero impact, and you turn your position of like influence and and you you've turned it into a joke. Good job. I mean, like, you know, I think you said they serve a very real purpose when it comes to advocating for fans as a class, as a match going group of people who experience this club and get to have conversations about how to improve that experience and how to make things better for, you know, the match day fans. And that's a very important role that they serve and a very good thing to do because, yes, you know, it's very easy for clubs to treat fans as consumers and not as, you know, the lifeblood of a club. And I think advocating for those interests in, in those contexts are, are hugely important. And the way the supporters trusts in, in clubs across, you know, the UK operate um, have done a lot of really good work. Um, but like you said, Greg, you know, the whole Enoch out movement is only a thing tied to our performance on the pitch. You know, when we're in a Champions League final, no one is screaming about Enoch out. When we're, you know, fighting for a title under Pochettino, no one is screaming for Enoch out. It's not anything to do with the ownership as an organization and and how they conduct themselves as the stewards of Tottenham Hotspur. It is only a criticism about how we perform on the pitch, which has been generally trending upwards and wildly variable kind of in that general trend. And, you know, I think it's just easy to lose sight of what the real issues are with like, why aren't we better? Um, And it's just, it's a convenient place to complain and say, well, if we sell the club to somebody else, all of these problems will go away. And that's just not, how it's going to work. It could work that way. It's just, yeah, it could. I, I don't know about you guys. I'm nervous about rolling those dice. Like I'd be less nervous if like Saudi Arabia and Qatar weren't out here buying clubs. <laughs> like, I, like I, I might be a little more inclined to roll those dice, but you know, if it was just, Oh, another billionaire will own us and you know, let's see how that goes. But even that has its own problems. I mean, it's like, we've seen, Blackburn and Portsmouth get bought out and disappear down the table. We've seen Everton, you know, kind of 
heading towards relegation. Everton and, fans thought they hit the lottery, and right. <laughs> like I this, mean, this happens all the time. Like, yes, a Newcastle could happen, uh, but you know that comes with a lot of other issues. That yes, a lot of these people complaining about Enoch just don't care about. You know, a lot of people shouting about this would be happy to get in bed with whoever if it meant Spurs won a league title. Like, that's just the fact of it. And, you know, for you or I and some of our listeners, you know, we're not having the same conversation. We're not considering the sort of same downside variables here uh, because the things that matter are, you know, are different. And I understand that. I understand that you're willing to sell the soul of this club to, to win a league title. I get that feeling, but... I mean, but also by the same token, you know, a change of ownership wouldn't necessarily matter because what it is for this specific subset of fans is it's about the results on the pitch. And so whether it was Levy or QSI or whoever, like if somebody went out there and we spent a hundred million pounds on, I don't know, somebody, whoever, whoever the, the new big thing is we spent 100 million pounds and they came to spurs and we didn't win anything and they looked like shit there were people with there'd be people with bed sheets and banners flying from planes and it would be whoever out even though they had spent some money and even though they tried and even though so like it, it just doesn't matter and and i get that to an extent like you know all sports are results based you know like you know as americans you know, we watch, I mean, Greg and I have this experience like nailed down, like, you know, our baseball teams and, and, you know, football team, well, less so for Greg, the football teams, but like, they're just shitty. They're just bad. And like, it doesn't matter who owns them. It doesn't matter if it's Peter Angelos or Ewing Kaufman or John Sherman. It doesn't matter who these people are, how much money they, sometimes the teams just suck. And sometimes it's like, sometimes you can spend money and you spend money badly and sometimes you cannot spend money and you didn't spend money goodly goodly is not a word but like <laughs> it doesn't matter like like it, it's not a silver matters at the end of the day is winning and so people will be upset when you're not winning whatever you do it doesn't matter and well, so like it, it's worth considering i don't know if you guys remember but like when kane hoy was trying to buy spurs yeehaw um, with his Texas oil money, which I presume is going to Jimbo Fisher now, but um, that's a very didn't... niche reference for people that listen to a soccer podcast. I, I got faith. I got faith in our American listenership, but um, it's um, you know Levy was like the reporting at least at the time was Levy wanted to stay on his chair, and you know he's got you know enough ownership stake that that's not that's not an empty I mean, empty threat. That's probably not the right word, but that's not nothing. I mean, you know, probably, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if that is, does accompany any sale. But it's not to say that, like, you know, I don't want to do that with that joke of, like, better things aren't possible. But it's just, you know, I, I, I think, like you said, Brian, like, devil you know might be better than devil you don't. And the devil you don't know isn't necessarily a solution to your problems. And it's just, it, it's, there's so many... Issue. I mean, I think we would all just like, you know, some conglomerate with a lot of money who wants Spurs to win and will hire smart people. And wouldn't that be nice if we spent some more money and spent it smartly? But I don't know. It's just very, like, I think 
I, I don't know. It's been the last few years have been a, a total mess, and we've been tr- part of it's because we've been trying to keep all these plates spinning. And you just hope they figure it out. I'd like Daniel Levy to take a step away, um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. People just aren't going to be happy without a trophy, Greg. And, and I mean, like, you're right. I get, I get it. I get it. I want a trophy too, guys. I do. I really want one. It'd be super fun. But like, there's only so many trophies every year, and you know, we're not backed by a Petro State, and you know. I don't, maybe if QSI buys it, then that'll change. So who knows? But like, I, I don't. I, people that are out here like expecting us to spend hundreds of millions and win every competition we're in, and just like run away with a league title, I, I just, I, I don't know what reality you're living in. Yeah, I mean, the last thing I guess I'll say is, all owners of every sports team are bad they're just all bad and yes yeah stay antagonistic to ownership all the time because sure. fuck them they're terrible but if you want your owners to leave all you're gonna get is a different owner and you still have the same problems they're an owner of a sports team they fucking suck and you better stay antagonistic to them also i just think I it's, just... it's 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 I, I think you make a good point there ben i think where and I think that sums up where I have a lot of frustration with them beyond sort of what they actually care about is just like Daniel Levy's not leaving unless he wants to. And we might be able to like, we might be able to get him to fire a coach every now and then, but like, we're not going to bully him out of the club. Like, you know, like if Mike Ashley didn't sell the club until he was ready, Daniel Levy's not going to sell the club until he's ready. Unless people are prepared to start, like, booing him at restaurants and showing up outside of his house. But then he's just not going to show up at games. He's not going to sell the club. Like, I mean, he doesn't talk anyway. So, it's like... The sad thing is, or the sad thing is about this is, like, I think one of the reasons Levy is the way he is is because I think he's actually a fan of Tottenham Hotspur. I think he is, you know, I think he's a businessman or whatever, but this is a guy who, unless I'm wrong, he grew up a fan of Spurs, and... I think that... And that's the problem. <laughs> well, I, I think that explains some of the... Well, why can't he stop interfering in football things? Why does he, like, get excited about a guy like Jed Spence? Like, why does he do some of these things? I think the answer is... he Like, I, people accuse the ownership of not caring. Like, that's not the problem. I'm not even sure if spending... The mo- amount of money we spend is the problem. It's getting way back to the beginning of this conversation. It's how that money's being spent that's the problem. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we're... What I don't know. We're decades on from, you know, soccernomics and, you know, Moneyball and and we're just still like I don't know. This guy looks good. He played against us. Let's sign him. Like, I don't know. It's it's frustrating. It's stupid. But I'm like I'm like Ben, you know, a communist. No, not uh, well. <laughs> eh, maybe. <laughs> I'm on the spectrum. Sure. <laughs> um, no, I, I, I think, uh, you know, you, ha- you, have to, you have to demand more from your ownership. Uh, you have to, you know, like Ben said, stay antagonistic. But I think also, you know, we have to be understanding and, and realistic about what our expectations are. Like, are you antagonistic to the, like, get out of our club, never come back? Or are you antagonistic, like, hire a sporting director, get a legitimate scouting department? Like, w- like, what's the hill you want to die on? Is the hill you want to die on just, 
FFS spend some money? Or is the hill you want to die on, like, let's put some systems in place that, you know, make us not so dependent on hitting on generational talents every 15 years? Like, I think one of those hills makes a lot more sense than the other. You know, I think the real reason for all of this is about to rear its ugly head uh, this weekend is seeing our ugly neighbors, you know, who don't have a particularly impressive ownership structure, who hired a manager who most of us scoffed at for years, um, you know, did things that I think we would have been furious with Daniel Levy if he had done. And yet they find themselves on the verge of possibly winning a title. Um, and that's most of what this comes down to is seeing us pip Arsenal to fourth last year and now seeing Arsenal where they are and Spurs where they are. I mean, that's it. Yeah, so, yeah. because like Greg, I can also do segues. What do y'all think about that North London Derby? I I think, I think to, to your first point, Ben, I think like if the table was such that it was Manchester United and Arsenal had their positions reversed, I think we'd feel a lot better about this, even though like then Arsenal would still be marginally ahead of us. Um, but yes, I, I think absolutely. It's incredibly frustrating to look at this Arsenal team that's largely built on young homegrown players and a player who shouldn't be playing because he should be in police custody. Um, and, and to see them have the level of success that they're having. Um, you know, I, I know Greg has very strong feelings about Mikel Arteta, so I'll leave all that to him. Um, but, you know, it's, it's frustrating to see them with, you know, having made some smart purchases, Gabriel Jesus, Martinelli, who I think probably most of us scoffed at, but it's turned out to be a very good player. Uh, Tomiyasu, who we were linked with and wanted. Um, ben White, uh, Aaron Ramsdale. Like, like they have done good business in the transfer window. They have produced good players from their academy, and they're reaping the benefits of it now. And it's really frustrating, and I hope we kick the shit out of it. Yeah, I think... Another thing that adds on top of all that frustration is, and you please jump in if you guys think I'm wrong about this because I'm curious what you think. But even sort of conceding, they have some very impressive younger players on that roster. I think this team, this Arsenal team, is like what's the way to put this? I don't think I think they're much less impressive on paper than they are in reality. Like. I don't think any of us thought they'd be this good. I don't think top four is where we think they might be if Jesus like really hit the ground running. Um, but <laughs> I don't know why I called him Jesus. If Gabriel hit the ground running uh, this year, but I, I don't know. I, I just I think that's part of the frustration. I, I don't feel great about this, even though Arsenal have had some less than thrilling results lately. But you know, I think you know we we had a good match against Palace and in you know, uneventful match against Portsmouth. I don't know how good I feel about this team right now, you know. Um, I don't know. I, I don't I don't have a lot of faith in this. I think it's a derby, so you can throw four them out the window sometimes. I feel a lot better about everything if we could pull a win out, you know. But, you know, I think Arsenal's a good enough team. You know, I think this is a Spurs team that as much as they dig out results, 
they can let bad things happen to them and they can get down when bad things happen to them. And I think that Arsenal's the kind of team that could take advantage of that. So I am not thrilled about this game. I am not expecting much. Um, Ben. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I haven't expected anything in a while. Have, have you team. have you made a deposit with your marriage counselor yet? Or I'm gonna need to, man. This <laughs> it's fucking tough. <laughs> I saw I saw that when we met you guys over Christmas. <laughs> like, I have never minded being married to an Arsenal fan. Like, especially lately <laughs> when we finished above them for like the last five years. Um. I am just not going to enjoy those celebrations if and when they come. Uh, I hate it, man. I hate it so much. So, yeah, I think we're going to win because I need us to win so badly. Well, that's comforting. Um, yeah, my my uh, my wife and I are planning to take our kids somewhere this weekend, and we were discussing, like, times to go to the museum and – she mentioned like Sunday at like ten thirty, and I I was just like sitting there for a second. I'm like, that might be the most mentally healthy choice I can make. So just like not be around a television when it happens, but I doubt I am that strong. So we'll see. But I'm uh, guessing we'll all experience the pain together. No, I I made a tea time to play golf at eleven fifteen. <laughs> so the game kicks off at eleven thirty. I'll be on the golf course the entire time. And then I get to make the decision afterwards based on what our writer's room looks like if I'm going to watch it or not. So uh, if I'm pretty quiet, I wouldn't use the writer's podcast, room. I wouldn't use the writer's room as your barometer. You'll never watch another Spurs game for the rest of your life. So that's true. It'll depend on the DMs that you specifically sent me. Okay, okay, that's fair. <laughs> Depends on how much you were complaining about Ben. <laughs> um, that, that I will I will decide whether or not to watch the Arsenal game on replay. Um, yeah. All right. So before we all go into hiding and our friendship is eternally broken, uh, Brian, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Brian underscore Ashlock. That is Brian with a Y. Ben, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Comrade Uspers. And you can find me on Twitter at Skipjack0079. Don't forget to follow our podcast at WDR Podcast. That's WDR as in Wheeler Dealer Radio. And also leave us a nice five-star review because we need something to console us this weekend. Uh, For Ben, for Brian, and of course for Brett Rainbow, I have been your host, Greg. Come on, you Spurs.